Moments ago, you were in a doctor's office. But now, you're swimming along the white, sandy ocean floor. A school of brightly colored fish crosses right in front of you. A crab tiptoes across a rock, and then a sea turtle swoops into view. Is this the future of healthcare? The beauty of VR is that you are really there, right? You feel that you are there. So the best way to learn something is by doing. The powerful medicine of immersing yourself in computer-generated interactive environments. That's today on Brainstorm, the podcast about how tech is reshaping our world. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Brainstorm. I'm Michal Avram. And I'm Brian O'Keefe. But Michal, am I talking to the real Michal or a virtual Michal? Some days I really don't know, Brian. I kind of feel like I'm in a simulation, don't you? Every day. <laughs> but it's also confusing because virtual reality seems to be spreading everywhere. It's not just for video games anymore. It used to be kind of this futuristic idea. And now it's like pretty commonplace. You can buy a virtual reality headset on Amazon. It's really, really grown. I mean, you've got huge companies involved now, Facebook, Apple, everybody's kind of going toe-to-toe, developing these VR headsets and trying to compete for the market share. And virtual reality is also becoming just a bigger part of all sorts of different sectors. There are a lot of applications where it's being used in or at least experimented with. And one of those is healthcare. Virtual reality is really taking off in healthcare. You know, like in training, for instance, surgeons can visualize what it's like to operate on a heart before they actually do it, which seems like, you know, pretty good use of technology. And also on the treatment side, VR is being used for treating things like anxiety and depression and also for pain management. By some estimates, there are 100 million people in the United States living with chronic pain. I want to tell you about one of them. Tom Norris is a medically retired Air Force Lieutenant Colonel. I've had chronic pain for about 33 years now uh, as a result of excess radiation during treatment for testicular cancer. At 37, two years after his cancer treatment, Tom started feeling excruciating pain pretty much all over his body, and it was nonstop. When the symptoms started, I had a hard time walking. My left hip hurt every time I walked up an incline. Since then, it's gotten to the back, both hips, all the way up my spine. And it's, I describe it as like trying to fight with a uh, fiery dragon with great big claws. And it causes me to experience what we call brain fog, where it takes over all my senses, where all I can think about is the pain. That sounds just miserable. And I can't imagine 33 years of that So was he given painkillers or any drugs for this, Brian? He was, but that was kind of a horrible experience for him in a different way, actually. I spent 10 years on fentanyl. Fentanyl is pretty bad. All in an attempt to control the pain or live with it. Those 10 years I lost. I couldn't do anything. I spent basically those 10 years in bed. Fentanyl was like putting a thick wool blanket between me and my pain. My pain was still there, but... The side effects of the fentanyl just numbed my brain out. I was hallucinating. I I couldn't walk. I hurt myself falling a couple of times. Where I thought the pain had been bad before, uh, the 10 years on fentanyl, I finally realized it wasn't what I wanted. So imagine, Michal, Tom had gone through this whole 10-year period of 
being on this powerful addictive painkiller and summoned the will to get off of it. And then he's still living with this chronic pain. It hadn't gone away. But then a doctor he was working with recommended that he try virtual reality. And here's what Tom says about what it was like to use VR for therapy. You ever been to the beach and just sat on the beach watching the waves? The relaxation that you're uh, divorced from everything. With virtual reality, you can recreate that scene. They have 360 degrees videos where you can sit on the beach and you can look around, you see the waves, you hear the wind, you can sit in a meadow. I, I'm big into farms. I can sit in a meadow with cows around me and feel like I'm back on the farm. I, it empowers me, it refreshes me. So Tom has been doing the VR treatment for a couple of years now, and he's not entirely off of pain medication. He still gets an epidural periodically, which is a nerve blocker, as many women who've gone through pregnancy will know. But he says that the virtual reality treatment really helps him tamp down the pain to a more manageable level. I sit on a particular chair when I use virtual reality. I give myself about 15 or 20 minutes and I time myself, or usually the apps are timed. And for instance, the breathing exercise, uh, you're usually seated near a pond and you see this tree. As you hear the directions about your breathing, you can watch the little tiny motes of light uh, as your breath goes in and out. And as you relax and your breathing becomes calmer, the tree winds up growing leaves or becoming fuller of the flowers bloom. So it's a reinforcement. What happens with after I use the virtual reality, I push the dragon away. And, you know, the claws are still there, but they're just, I can't feel them quite as badly. What jumps out at me here is that, you know, this is not some kind of pharmaceutical one-to-one -one kind of treatment for a symptom way of dealing with the pain. What works for Tom here with the virtual reality is it's really technology allowing him to access kind of mindfulness and a meditative form of therapy that's really kind of ancient and, you know, that I think anybody could relate to, like if you, you spend time walking on the beach at the ocean, it's relaxing and it brings your heart rate down and allows him to access that virtually without actually going there. Except it's like mindfulness on steroids because this is an entirely immersive experience that's kind of, you know, forced upon you by VR. And the doctor who introduced Tom to virtual reality, by the way, is Dr. Brennan Spiegel. And he's got a lot to say about this. He's the director of health services research at Cedars-Sinai Hospital in Los Angeles. He runs a lab that's really focused on testing the impact of new health technologies like VR. And he's also the author of the book VRX, How Virtual Therapeutics Will Revolutionize Medicine. So more and more hospitals are using VR, not just for research, but actually for clinical care. Our hospital at Cedars-Sinai have really large programs. We've treated well over 3,000 patients with virtual reality. We're now creating a, a, a clinical service. Uh, we also have a consult service in the hospital, the virtualist service, where people can receive VR in the hospital as part of their care. But some hospitals are using it in a more limited way, like in the emergency department for people who can't find a room and they're in a gurney in the hallway. And so rather than being in a hallway, they can be sitting on a beach in Hawaii, for example. 
or in labor and delivery. Some obstetricians are using it to help reduce the need for epidural injections. Uh, so it really is starting to penetrate actual clinical care now, not just for research purposes. I am very interested in hearing more about the use for labor and delivery. <laughs> Having gone through childbirth three times, is this like the new epidural? How, how does it work? I wouldn't want to say it's the new epidural because that <laughs> sounds maybe a little overpromised, but it is part of the idea is to either support traditional pain approaches uh, or in some cases as a substitute. So for example, uh, we worked with a program that allows women going through childbirth to go through almost a Lamaze style biofeedback experience. And what that involves is as the woman breathes in and out during childbirth, the microphone and the headset detects their breathing and it will entrain their breathing into the software. So you can actually see your breaths as a particle effect going out into a forest and you can breathe life into a dying tree, for example or a tree will expand and contract with your breathing, like this huge arboreal lung, synchronizing with your own biology, with your own physiology. And with the right voiceover script, where a voiceover will explain to you that you, know, you have this capability to do this, that you are able to get through this. And I've not been through childbirth, so I'm not gonna pretend to know what that's like, but in a randomized control trial, we found that women who were randomized to the VR had lower pain scores. And there's another study that shows with episiotomy repair, which is required after some childbirth, that pain scores are much lower and the need for pain medications is lower if virtual reality is used to sort of bridge that experience. Well, I clearly went to the wrong childbirth prep classes because I did not get to breathe life into trees. Uh, that sounds very, very cool. But tell me about the use in chronic pain patients, which I know is an application that you're looking at specifically. How does that work? Is it a similar concept? Is it breathing? Is it relaxation? So there is a difference between acute pain and chronic pain. Uh, you know, acute pain is sort of normal, self-limited response to some kind of injury. But chronic pain is when it persists longer than necessary, where the body may have healed itself sufficiently, but there's still persistent pain and very impactful pain that undermines quality of life. So this is of course an extremely common problem in humankind. And we're in the midst of an opioid crisis in addition to the pandemic uh, and the mental health issues that have occurred as a result of that. So pain management has become even more complicated in the era of COVID-19. And we need to find ways to help manage pain that don't necessarily involve opioids. And I should make a point that opioids do have a role and are very important for some people. But at the same time, they might help with the physical pain, but not necessarily the emotional pain. Pain is not just a physical experience. It's a biopsychosocial experience. Explain that real quick, biopsychosocial. So if you look at the brain in somebody who's experiencing pain, you'll see different parts of the brain lighting up. There's the sensory cortex, which is the part of the brain that just feels stuff. You know, it hurts. It's a physical experience. But then there's sort of the emotional centers that light up. Um, area called the limbic system, for example, deeper in the brain where we feel emotion. So that's why treatments like cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT or biofeedback therapy uh, or even hypnotherapy uh, and other types of psychological therapies do have benefits 
in the way the brain perceives pain. And virtual reality, it turns out, is a very powerful way of administering CBT at home. This isn't a replacement for a psychologist, but it can augment what psychologists and what psychiatrists do. So there's been research, for example, by um, Hunter Hoffman at the University of Washington, who's taken pictures of brains of people who are in pain before and then after they put the VR headset on. And what he's shown is that it tamps down the signals in the brain, not only in the sensory cortex, where you have that physical experience, but also in the uh, emotional cortex. And it tamps down both types of pain. And this has been shown now in several studies. For example, studies using virtual reality in people with severe burn injuries, undergoing bandage changes, a very, very severe, painful experience. And they've measured how severe they feel their pain is, but they also measure how unpleasant the pain is, which is a little different, or how much time they spend thinking about their pain when they're going through this procedure. And what they found is the VR reduces those psychological parts, but also reduces the actual physical experience of pain. You described some of the, the treatments via VR as something that people can do at home as not a replacement, but sort of a supplement to a, a psychologist, right? What is the actual experience? What are people seeing? What are they immersed in when they're doing this at home? Let's say, for example, for chronic pain situations. We have one experience where you find yourself in a movie theater. And then you come to learn that this movie theater is actually your own mind. And all those thoughts that you have are projections on the screen. As soon as you have an intrusive thought, like I'm worried about this or I'm worried about that, you get knocked out of the theater and all you see is a shadow of yourself on the screen. And what happens is when you see it and feel it and experience it in VR, you start to realize, oh, wow, I do have control over what movies are playing on that screen. And if the projectionist is showing something I don't want to see, I tell him or her to stop playing that movie. So it actually is picking up on when your brain wanders and has other thoughts. We don't have the technology to really tell what you're thinking. We can't read minds. So part of it relies on the participant to actively look for those thoughts, which is part of what CBT is about, is can you actively catch those thoughts and trigger a button when you have it? But there are ways now with brain-computer interfaces to estimate if there's been a change in brain function. For example, we do experiment with EEGs over the frontal uh, lobe of the brain that can look at brain signals and can look to see if somebody's in a meditative type of state versus a more kind of non-meditative state, for lack of a better term, or, or even an anxious or hypervigilant state, and use that to actually change what's happening in the virtual world. So for example, we're, we've worked with a program where depending on your brain waves, if you can get into a relaxed state, you can transport yourself out of the Yosemite Valley and fly right out of the valley in virtual reality, but you do it with your brain waves alone. Are there scenarios, are there conditions where VR just really will not and should not play a role? Oh, for sure. You know, VR is not some panacea or magic wand, you know, that works for everyone every time. So, you know, for example, there could be side effects. Some people can get a little dizzy or nauseous. Some people on occasion will have a panic attack, very rare. So, you know, we need to be very thoughtful about who we're using it in and what we're, what we're showing to them. Like any effective therapy, there are side effects associated with it. You know, not everyone has a response. And so we have to be thoughtful about that. 
some people can't move their neck. They have had trauma on their, to their face or their neck and you just don't want to put them into VR because they can't literally experience it. But, you know, uh, you know, people have asked me like, will VR cure cancer? And I say, I don't think so. You know, we do use it with cancer, but we can't overpromise and underdeliver on the treatment like this. Uh, you know, can it help with the nervous system and with stress? And could that have benefits for something like cancer? Maybe it can help with many, many things, but we need to be careful about not overstating the benefits. This is an adjunct to help us with our traditional treatment approaches, not as some complete substitute for how we approach medicine right now. Mental health is another area where there's huge potential for VR. And entrepreneurs and clinicians around the world are experimenting with ways to help people. One of them is Xavier Palomer, the CEO of a company called Sias, which is based in Barcelona. It's specifically focused on mental health treatment, and it makes the software that patients interact with when they put on the virtual reality goggles. So Brian, what kind of mental health conditions are they actually using VR for, though? Yeah, that's a good question. All sorts, actually. Let's take phobias, for example. So Xavier says that an easy treatment to imagine is exposure therapy. Like, for instance, if he has a patient who has a fear of flying, you can have the patient imagine going onto a plane using virtual reality. So it's immersive, but they don't have to actually get on the plane and they can work on that fear. At the end of the day, it's a gradual exposure, right? So for example, we have like four environments. The first one is being at home, just listening to the news of bad weather or bad things that are happening on planes. So being at home, then taking the taxi to the airport, so you kind of start seeing the airport approaching, etc. Then going through the gates, whether that's the security gate, the boarding gate. And the final one is the, the plane, right? By using these four environments, you can really walk the journey of getting into a plane, right? But on top of this, you can graduate the intensity of that exposure, right? For example, you can take a plane when it's raining, where everyone else is screaming, where you see a thunderstorm through the window, like the most intense situation. Or you can also simulate like a very standard, very calm plane uh, flight. So Brian, this is essentially like practicing, right? But with much lower stakes, you're not actually on an airplane having to go through this very frightening experience for some people. And on top of that, a therapist can tailor the VR experience, unlike a real life experience, to meet the client where he or she is and they're gleaning data so they can kind of adjust the treatment, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And uh, there are a lot of other examples for how they can use this and calibrate it along the way. For instance, Sias has a scenario for people who have problems of using alcohol. They can imagine that they're out to lunch with a friend and they're drinking a Coke. The other person is having a beer and she says, I think a nice whiskey would go well after that meal. What do you think? So then for the patient, some answers appear on the screen like, I better not, or I really want to stay sober right now, that kind of thing. And then the person can practice being in that situation and politely declining the drink. Xavier also says that Sias makes visualizations to help clinicians explain to patients what's happening in their brains when they're experiencing things like anxiety. If I explain, you know, that this molecule reacts with, you probably won't get anything, right? But if I show you that this molecule 
reacts with whatever and this happens and this triggers and this uh, you are really gonna you know picture what's happening brian this sounds really fascinating and i get that there are all sorts of different applications here but I'm just wondering about the limitations. There are different gradations of mental health problems. Is VR actually able to help solve the really complex stuff? Schizophrenia, for example, bipolar disorder. Those are very complex pathologies or problems, and, and we are not even close to crack that. So we, we can think on, on like names of problems, like schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, etc., or by severity, right? We target like... A, low to uh, meet uh, severity, right? Uh, very uh, patients suffering from a very severe anxiety, very severe uh, depression. Unfortunately, we are not there yet. We can help on that, but it needs to be you know, a CBT treatment, psychotherapeutic approach complemented by a pharmacological treatment. So it's a two-way strategy when you have a very severe problem, right? So. So it's I use the solution for that. It's definitely not. It's a very good complement, but it's not the solution for that. So it's clear from what Xavier is saying that VR is not a silver bullet for all of these mental health issues, but where it does have potential to work, it could be really effective if we can figure out how to scale it. Yeah, because at least today, it's not like you can just walk into any doctor's office and ask for a VR headset to borrow, right? Yeah, that's right. And even if you could, I don't think there are that many therapists who are really, you know, well-versed in how to use this technology to treat their patients. And that and, you know, greater funding can help us move beyond this being kind of a specialized form of treatment. For right now, Michal, I'm looking for some therapy in the real reality of like getting out of my house soon. I'm vaccinated. I'm ready to get out into real reality. And I think that's going to be very therapeutic. Maybe you can actually go like snorkeling instead of doing that underwater VR scene, you know? I hear it's even better. All right, I'm, I'm planning a trip. That's it for today. Join us next time for more talk on how tech is reshaping our world. The Brainstorm Podcast is a production of Fortune Media. Our show is produced by Wyatt Worm and edited by Nicole Vergala. Music is by Brian Campbell of Signal Sounds NYC. Executive producers are Mason Cohn and Megan Arnold.